Hey, hey, hey! Welcome, Chris, to Mailman Podcast. Hello, everybody. Today we have Chris, who started out as a teacher at a school, but now uh, does copywriting, email copywriting for living. He has helped several Kickstarter campaigns and other products to launch uh, with his email marketing skills and copywriting skills. And he uses some systems, some routines to manage productivity uh, throughout his day. So today we are going to learn all about it. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Okay, Chris. So to start with, maybe in a second, maybe in a minute or so, why don't you tell everybody what do you do right now? Who are you as a person? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, so I, I wear a few hats. So I have my own email marketing agency, Orzy Media, where we work with um, a lot of e-commerce brands and help them with their email automation. And then uh, on top of that, I also have a print newsletter and a few courses, um, digital courses that I sell that center around email marketing and, and email marketing automation, those kind of things. And that's just my main goal is to just find as many people I can to help them, you know, experience the wonders of email automation <laughs> and just email marketing in general. Oh, interesting. So when you say you have an agency for email marketing, do you also sell your own custom software to them? Or maybe you use this off the shelf software, a combination of softwares to uh, drive the results? That's a good question. Um, so most of our clients, meaning that they're e-commerce brands, tend to use Klaviyo. Um, although I use ConvertKit, I've used Drip, um, which I like very much also. Uh, so I don't have any of my own, maybe one day, but for now it's mostly just like the consulting, coaching and educational piece. And then obviously the higher end clients, uh, you know, we put them into the done for you services. The people who are like, hey, this all sounds great. Don't have time, bandwidth, energy to do it myself. You guys yeah. take it off our hands. So. Oh. Got it. So basically, you just take over the entire email list, or maybe you generate your own list. I don't know. And then you just uh, focus on the results that the client wants, and you uh, design a campaign that basically will drive those results. Is that it? Yeah. Basically, a lot of these clients, they have lists. They're growing their lists actively through okay. paid advertising, maybe organic methods, things like that. But when they get the subscribers in the list, there's a tons of different things you can do in terms of campaigns, launches, uh, automation. So what we try to do is just go in and create like the perfect customer journey from the time someone okay. buys to get them back in the store over and over again and to get them to escalate that relationship through automation. Oh, fantastic. So uh, I was uh, going through your website and I read um, your beginnings, which was, um, I mean, your beginnings as email copywriter. It began with a Kickstarter campaign that uh, raised over $5 million. And then I think they did a follow-up campaign that ended, up, that ended up raising with almost similar um, uh, email sequence about four four million more dollars so could you walk us through your journey not just for the email marketing uh, but maybe how did you stumble upon how did you get that first project to uh, for a kickstarter company the campaign to uh, generate five million dollars and how how really did it happen so that that wasn't my first ever client but that was my first like okay. big big you know huge okay. win and uh one of the biggest definitely of my career um a lot of a lot of stars aligned you know for that um the landscape was a little bit different uh with with crowdfunding and just you know facebook ads where you know you can get clicks for for, yes. for a nickel or for a dime whereas now they cost like a dollar or more so those things all definitely played out but you know we spent so much time with the email marketing is really crafting tons and tons of emails in terms of pre-launch, in terms of opening up the launch, in terms of, you know, escalating people, you know, getting them to back during the 30-day campaign, getting them to back after the campaign. If people back during the campaign, how to get them to go increase the pledge for more with upsells through backer kit and those kind of things. So it was a very, very big 
uh, overall campaign. There must have been at least 50 or 60 emails total that we did. And we just did a lot of storytelling and took people on a journey and just really thought about in terms of segments, in terms of, you know, what is the, for this particular segment, what is the offer that we should have? What is the story we need to tell to demonstrate to these people that this product is going to change their lives? And it was for a watch company and the watch is really great. And uh, it just, it just took off. It got a lot of like viral success. Um, But the, uh, you know, it just, I remember, you know, obviously some of that was from paid ads, some of that was from organic and media and things like that. But at the beginning, I mean, when we launched, when we opened up, we did about $109,000 in the first hour. And I think we did 250K in the first 24 hours. And the wow. campaign goal was like 20k total, so you know we got like a 12x, uh, 12x, you know, uh, win there. So um, that momentum really carried us forward. Oh, fantastic! Okay, so uh, something I'm curious about. So day one, when you started sending out emails, where did you get the email list from? I mean, uh, when the campaign is launched, um, how do you, how do you even start? What is the step one to do something like this? Well, the company had an existing list already of some customers, but we also built a pre-launch list, which is something we do with a lot of our clients who run Kickstarters. What basically we'll do is we'll run, you know, Facebook ads, YouTube ads, maybe Google ads, maybe even get some JV partners or some, uh, you know, just partners in general, friends of the brand to mail to what we call a pre-launch list. So they'll go to a page that says like, hey, this thing is launching soon. Here's a video. Here's a picture of the product. Usually it's physical products. We'll have pictures and things, some feature and benefit blocks, and then sign up to, to get early access to the Kickstarter. And then that is where we drive all the traffic because you can build, you know, we did a campaign about a year ago and we got about 10 to 12,000 people. That campaign ended up doing about 170K for a consumable product called Carnivore Snacks. But, you know, you get that big rush at the beginning because you have all those people who saw it. They're already pre sold on the offer. And then it's like, okay, that thing opens up. And it's not like what happens is a lot of Kickstarters, they'll open up and they don't do any pre-launch. They don't do any pre-campaign buildup. So they'll open up, they'll get $400 in the first 24 hours, which isn't good for the Kickstarter algorithm as it is. But then for social proof and things like that, people say, ah, maybe this isn't going to make it. I won't back it either. So you need to have that big rush at the beginning and having that pre-launch list is just huge. Oh, fantastic. And could you um, put some light on what were you doing before um, your email copywriting journey began? Yeah, so I, I was a teacher and actually a lot of those early campaigns that uh, this the Kickstarter campaigns we're talking about, I was basically, I was a school teacher, special education, and I was doing this on the side. So I was essentially working like 40 hours a day at okay. my day job and then another 30 to 48 hours on the copywriting business. So I was taking business calls, you know, clients in Europe at 5am, I'd wake up before I had to go to work. My every lunch break, I was on the phone, or I was typing, or I bring my laptop, you know, and then I basically work, you know, six hours, seven hours at home. And then, you know, except for like Friday nights and Saturday nights, but you know, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, I was in front of the computer. And I would even use my sick days, I don't get sick much, knock on wood, but I would use all my sick days back then to take off and just have like a full day of work in the business. And, you know, you do that for four years. And I eventually got to the point where I was making just about as much for my copywriting business as I was for my day job. So I said, what could I do if I had a full 40 hour week to dedicate to this? And I wasn't doing this at eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night or on Saturday morning when I'm exhausted. And then I pulled the trigger. Oh, fantastic. And uh, which year was this? I mean, you did it for four years. Uh, What four years were those? That was uh, from 2013 to 2017. June 16, 2017 was my final day of teaching and I walked out and have not been back. And ever since then, I've been running my copywriting business full time. So this is actually year eight of my business. So the first four years I was doing them concurrently and then it's been about four years since then. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Um, so, um, and when did this Kickstarter uh, campaign was uh, in this journey, 2017? This was fall of 2016. And then the second one I think was 
fall of 2017, yeah. Oh, wow. So you pulled this campaign off while you were on a, on a full-time uh, teaching job. Oh, fantastic. It was, incredible. It, it was not easy, but <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like it's, uh, you could, you could make excuses or you can make it happen, you know? And like, yep. it's one of those things where it, it would have been very easy to be like, I'm too busy. I can't do this. But I said, this might be one of those moments that makes my career as a writer and as a marketer. And I said, I got to do whatever it takes. I got to stay up late. I got to wake up early. I got to take days off. I need like, this is one of those where you don't know how it's going to work out, but you got to take your shot sometimes. Absolutely. And uh, when did you realize that you want to become a copywriter? I mean, um, teaching is uh, one thing. So did something happen during your teaching career that you realized, hey, copywriting uh, attracts me more or this is how, how really uh, did you realize that copywriting is the thing that you want to do for the rest of your life? Um, so with teaching, like, I don't really know what I wanted to do, but I was okay. a wrestler in college and in high school. And I said, I want to coach wrestling. So I said, I'll be a teacher. I'll coach wrestling. Um, and I was doing that and it was fine. But, you know, in terms of like, I wanted to make more money. And that was one okay. of those things where as a teacher, you're kind of, you know, you can't just go to another school and they pay you 20 grand more. It doesn't work that way. It's like, it's based on the amount of years that you're there. Okay. I remember there was this one time when I looked at the, they give you a contract book and it says, you know, if you teach for 40 years, like here's every single step of your salary and how much it increases every okay. year. So, and on that piece of paper was every dollar I'd make in my life. And I said, I don't know if I like that number. So I said, <laughs> okay, let's find a let's find a way to up that number. And then uh, you know, I had a mentor, Zach Evanesh, who was a my strength coach through college and mm -hmm. high school, and he had an online business. I mean, he started back in like, you know, maybe 2002, 2003, like way back in the early days, and he was selling ebooks. And I grew up like watching him do this, and I was like, this guy just like uses the internet and makes money. And I was like, how does this even work? And then I tumbled down that rabbit hole for the whole first year of my business, and then I discovered copywriting. And uh, I was just amazed because, you know, I, I looked at the, the amount that some of these people get paid. I'm like, they just hand people a Google document full of words and they get thousands of dollars <laughs> for that. I said, I bet I could figure this out. You know, it's okay. like, it's cool. It's like, I could write. I know, I know all the words I need. I just need to arrange them in the right order. And that's really what it is. It's just, you know, okay. all the words you need in your copy. It's just literally putting them in the right order. And it takes a while. It is a skill you have to develop. But once you do... You know, especially when it comes to email, it's like printing money. You know, you think about in terms of like effective hourly rate for all the tasks that you do. Like if you could spend 10 or 20 minutes and write an email and that makes 500 or a thousand bucks, what's your hourly rate for that? Yep. Uh, so, so right now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So you run a full-time blog where you share some interesting emails that you stumble upon and then you have an agency as well. So what does a typical day look like? How do you manage your day? What time do you get up? What time do you uh, call, or call it a day? Uh, what really happens throughout the day? Well, um, we have a son who's about to turn 11 months, so he is our alarm clock now, and he gets us up <laughs> usually at around anywhere between 6 and 7, um, and then, you know, get up, make him breakfast, get everything set up for the day. Usually start working around 8 or 9, maybe 8.30 sometimes, and then... Um, I'll usually be done by about four, sometimes three. And then throughout the day, it can consist of, you know, a, lot, a good amount of meetings. You know, when you have an agency, it's just you're on meetings, you're on calls, you're on calls with new clients, you're on strategy calls with your team. You're on just calls in general, calls with, you know, my Facebook ads guy, Mike Renard, who's really awesome, who helps us with our acquisition stuff. Um, I'm on calls with, you know, my my fractional CFO. There's just a lot of just, just calls, a lot of calls all the time, you know, and then in between the calls or before the calls start, I like to get some of that deep work in and write emails, create content, create courses, create my newsletter, um, whatever I have to do in order to kind of move the business forward. So I do that stuff first and then I get to the calls and putting out fires and everything else. Oh, so your mornings are reserved for deep work or whatever is required. And then probably for the rest of the day, you know, whatever calls are there, you schedule something like that. Yeah. I actually use something that I like to call the magic box, which really like just okay. changed everything because I okay. my, my schedule just exploded. 
And, okay. you know, like as I was scaling up my business, there was just so many things. And I was like, I'd look at my week sometimes and I have 16 one hour calls and they're all interspersed and you have a call here and then you have half an hour oh, off wow. and another call. You can't get anything done. So I said, yes. this is a problem. We need to fix it. So I drew this box on my calendar and I said, okay. I'm only taking calls inside this box. And the box for okay. me is from Monday to Wednesday, from noon to 4 p.m. So every single call that I have fits into the magic box. And then what that does is if you start work at nine and you don't take your first call until noon, you essentially have a three hour block of deep work Monday through Friday. And then ah. by, by the time Thursday rolls around, you have a full day. And by the time Friday rolls around, you have a full day also. And then if anyone needs a call on Thursday, you know, if someone hits you up Thursday morning, say, hey, we need to hop on a call. Cool, let's schedule for Monday. And then you push to the next week. So it keeps those two days free at the end. So, so you know, the thing is you can move the box wherever you want on the calendar. Okay. But the rule is as long as you keep it in the box, it's so freeing. Because in a 40-hour work week, you essentially have about 16 hours of calls in that, sorry, four times three, no, that's 12 hours of time inside the box. And then you have another about 25 hours outside the box. And then depending, you know, if you want to work uh, from four to five, then you have another five hours to play with. Oh, fantastic. Uh, do you use any special calendar or a tool to draw this box or how does it work? Or is it just a mental box that you have in your head? It's part mental, but I do have it in my Calendly, which is my scheduling link. Uh, so I just, okay. I that's the only options. You know, some people that have calls every 15 minutes, the, yes. the only time you can schedule is in that, in, is in that block. So I just okay. have this, the parameter set up. So when I send a link, I don't even have to worry about it. I say, here's the times, you know, and then um, every now and then, you know, maybe, you know, the, the thing is like, you don't have to, you can stick to it as close as you want. I try to stick to it 99% of the time, but sometimes like if I need to have an emergency call or if I have a call with some of my accountant, let's say, and we talk, you know, every six yep. months or something like, okay, if they need, <laughs> I'll move it to a Friday. But again, it's my choice, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be, yes. it doesn't let other people control your calendar. Mm -hmm. unless you control your calendar and schedule unless you actually get stuff done. Interesting. And, uh, uh, what really happens so uh, i'm assuming probably you also work with international clients so what really happens when the time zones are way off for That's example this call this conversation that we are having so this is mm -hmm. probably your early morning so what yeah, happens this, on those days so on those days um it depends it, it's one of those things where i say if i want the client and i, and I, I want to make it happen then i'll say i'll break i'll break okay. the deal or i could send someone on my team to take the calls depending on where we at and we're on the stage for instance my my web designer uh greg Merrilis from uh Studio One Designs, and he's in Australia, and we had a call okay. at from five to six p.m. last Wednesday or two Wednesdays okay. ago. I don't remember the day, but uh, that was one where I said I'll break the rule for myself, but it's my choice again. You know, it's like I'll break the okay. rule because I really want to work with him, and you know, we need to make the time zones work. But again, it doesn't have to be an every week thing. It's like we do that oh, yes. one call, and then everything runs after that, or I could send other people to other calls in the future. So it gives you that flexibility and that freedom and that permission to you know take control of everything. Oh, fantastic. So uh, now I understand. So Magic Box is something which gives you direction to have a very productive day. But once in a while, you also make some exceptions to fit in some very urgent or important things. Yeah. Got it. And it's one of those things, too, where, you know, in terms of like task switching, in terms of like your mental energy, like I know yeah. me when I get on a roll with calls, I just want to keep rolling through all the calls, bang them out one <laughs> okay. after the next after the next. But like if I'm writing, I don't want to have a call yes. in the middle of that writing time because the, the mental energy, and I'm sure you probably see the same thing with your yes. business, whatever tasks you have, like you don't want to ha get into a state 
to write or create or build or whatever it is, and then have to switch that state and then have to switch back to the state and then have to yeah. switch again and again. It's annoying. You know, it's yeah. it's just easier to say, I'm going to write for three hours and then I can eat lunch and then I can switch gears mentally and know that I don't have to do any creative work until the next day. My afternoon will be putting out fires, taking calls, doing what I got to do. And then we start over the next day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, Chris, is it possible to take a peek at your calendar probably just to see how does the magic? So I'm just assuming maybe the entire calendar looks empty with just one box. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. So, so, so this is an example. And like I said, this is one where I'm making an exception because it's okay. a, uh, some status report stuff for the agency that we just have to fit in around um, sure. my EA schedule. But the box is kind of essentially from, oops, I don't want to do that. Um, but essentially it's from, you know, 12 noon, everything tends to fit into this piece right here. Right. So it's Got like it. everything goes in here pretty much. Again, this is just temporary. This isn't always going to be here, but I said we need yep. to do some things with the agency. But that yep. way yep. it gives me from, you know, if I start at eight, it gives me four hours, four hours, four hours, and then it gives me eight hours, eight hours here. And this pay commissions is just a reminder that's not an actual task. And this is my uh, my wife tutoring. So essentially I have these two full days right here, and then I have all this time in the morning to, um, and the thing is you can move the box. Some people want to start off their mornings and have calls here yes. and then have, focus time, focus time, focus time, and then two full focus days, right? Some people want to move their box from Wednesday to Friday, and that's fine. You can move the box wherever you want, but it's your choice. Oh, this is fantastic. Chris, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think you think in term, you think and plan in terms of weeks, not in terms of days then. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I've tried theme days and it's just hard, you know, like if it, it's just hard for me to do theme days uh, because okay. you'd have like a writing day and then you have another writing day and then you have a call day. But then like, you know, I tried doing one call day. I said Tuesday is going to be my call day or Wednesday is going to be my call day. But sometimes you have too much to fit it in and then it spills over and then it just like becomes a mess. And I guess some people make it work. But for me, it was okay. just a lot easier to say I have three days where I take calls. It's only half that day. And then I have deep work each time. And uh, the thing for me, too, is like, you know, now that I have my son, like I don't want to be on the phone all the time. I just want to oh, know yes. here are the days when I'm on the, the phone and here's the times when I'm free. So I could work. I could play with him. We could go somewhere. I can get a haircut, you know, like just little things like that. Well, if yeah. we need to schedule a doctor's appointment or whatever it is, right? Like you have that time blocked out and you're not chained to your desk and chained to your computer or your laptop because your schedule is all over the place. Absolutely. Uh, do you take all the call requests that come to you or um, how, how do you say no or how do you uh, filter out the call requests that you have to take? Do you have any questions? Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a living breathing system that I'm always kind of optimizing, but it's one of those things where I'm not going to hop on the phone. Like if you're a potential client, I'm not going to hop on the phone with you unless I know you're serious, okay. you know, and I kind of okay. sussed that after email. And some okay. people are like, oh, I'd just like to learn a little more about your services and say, cool, I'll handle it with an email or if needed, I'll film a Loom video. But I'm not going to default to a call just because someone says, hey, I'd love to get you on the phone and pick your brain. It's like, hey, a million people would, but we can't do that because there's only one of me. So here's what we're going to do because we're going to handle it. And sometimes also it's just telling people like, hey, you know, if you'd like to work with us, it's going to start at $10,000. Are you okay with that? If so, we can hop on a call. And you quickly find out, you know, people either don't answer back or they say, oh, actually, it's way out of my budget and say, hey, cool. Here's some people I could connect you with. Good luck to you and hope it works out. But now you just saved yourself a call. So it's one, and it took me a long time because I used to just hop on a call with everyone. And I said, you know what, I need to create a filtering process. So not only that, but I also have people go through an application process where they have to read a long sales page about how uh -huh. I work with people. Then they have to fill an application. Then I review that application. Then I get back to them through email and then 
and only then through an email conversation then we get to a phone call. Some people, they just say, hey, hop on a call and we can talk about your project. And then they have 40 hours a week of open time. And I'm just like, <laughs> again, I, to, me, to me, I see that. I'm like, that's a tell that you're not A, that important or that busy, you know? And, and <laughs> if, you know, what I've learned about clients in particular is like clients want what they don't, they can't get. They want the person, you know, like everyone would want to work with someone like a Russell Brunson or a Tony Robbins, but you can't yeah. just get on his calendar, you know, any of those yeah. guys, you have to jump through hoops. And that's why they're so desirable. Yeah. Dan Kennedy, all these other like high level, Frank Kern, all these people, right? Like you can't just say, yeah, let me uh, talk to Frank. Yeah. Oh, he's doing something. I need to talk to him. Let me pick his brain. Not going to happen, you know? And there's a reason for that. And it kind of builds also some of that authority. And it's also better because, people kind of need to be funneled through some kind of process and that, you know, they feel like they're working with a pro and they are because pros have processes. So that it's part of that. And also just with team things, we always default to, can it be an email or Slack? Can it be a loom? And then if it can't be either of those things, then we go to a zoom call. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So uh, I think, I think I can relate to you very well because over, over years I have filtered uh, same thing, especially over the last year, because everything was asynchronous and uh, uh, mostly everybody would want to have a zoom call. And I started taking all the requests actually, but then I realized, Hey, some of these things can be an email. Now I have, now I have a huge list of email templates uh, with my calendar link with uh, requests for a loom video and it's just working. So for example, uh, if there's a support request about a bug, if they're able to write it in, uh, write it in an email, great. If they're paying, uh, if they if they are paying customers, so for example, if you reach out to me, I'll jump on a call regardless of the time of the day or, day or the day of the week. If somebody has just been using trial and just testing, and basically we ask these questions upfront uh, during the signup process. Hey, are you just testing it out? Uh, what do you want to achieve? And uh, based on that, I filter out. Hey, who do I really want to uh, focus my time on? And then I send some automated emails like, Hey, why don't you send us a Loom video and then we'll get it fixed. Uh, so mm -hmm. I can relate to you. Very interesting process. I mean, what I really liked about it was uh, email that goes out saying, hey, we take $10,000. Uh, if this is in your budget, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, because, you know, it, it's one of those things where you got to focus. You got to focus on on the top 1% of people that you yes. want to work with. And it doesn't mean that it's the most expensive. It just means like, who are your people that you can do the best job for, that you can get the best result for, who will be the best client? Because there's a lot of clients. There's a lot of businesses, right? Like, especially your B2B type services. Like, there's a million people you could work with, but you can't actually work with a million people. You can only skim off the top 1,000 of that, right? And that's over maybe a career or, or, or a five or 10 year period of time. So it's it's part part that and part just saying, you know, like use the word asynchronous. Like that's a big word at, at my company as well is like, we don't have meetings. We don't, have, okay. like, we have a, a weekly update meeting where with my account manager and my project manager. Um, mm -hmm. But that's about it in terms of standing meetings. No, we'll have account manager as a standing meeting with the clients, but I'm not on those um, because I don't need to be in, she does a better job with those than I do anyway. So we let, her name's Angie and she's fantastic, Angie Coley. She does an awesome job with that. But like pretty besides that, like we'll have strategy meetings at the beginning of a project or when we're onboarding a new client, but those aren't standing, right? So we try to do one-time meetings. We don't, you know, when I was a teacher, there were so many meetings. I'm like, you know, there's that meme. It's like, I survived a meeting that could have been an email. And I just felt like um, when I had my own company, I wasn't going to be the person who had meetings that could really just be emails or could be Loom video updates and those kind of things. So it's just better, you know, especially if you send a Loom, someone can watch it at double speed if they want, they can plow through it. If it's 10 minutes, they get it done in five and they get the information they need. And then that, that way they have more time to do their best work. And I think that's really important because, you know, it's all about what you can ship. 
at the end of the day. Got it's it. not about how many meetings you have. It's about what outcomes do you produce. And the more outcomes you can produce, the better you become. Got it. So I was just thinking, so you must be getting a ton of emails. Uh, and some of those would be well-crafted emails. But the ask that they must be asking out of you might not be something that suits you. So do you get biased towards well-crafted, polished emails, even though the ask is not something uh, which uh, you would say yes to? Do you still hop on a call just maybe just to uh, understand, hey, how did you really come up with this email? Just probably for to, to, to learn more about it. Uh, do you have any bias or maybe you just have a very hard block? Uh, even if the email is well-crafted, this is no for me. That's a good question. Um, it depends, you know, like I get, I get a lot of requests for summits or podcasts okay. and like things. And most podcasts I take just because they're fun. I enjoy them. I'm, I'm an extrovert. Okay. I like talking to people. Um, okay. and it's exciting, but you know, summits or just JV offers, you know, and like, I don't really take a lot of those, but like someone was like, Hey, can we hop on a call? And I said, how about you put in a loom video for me? And <laughs> just put in a five minute loom. I was like, just give me the details, man. Like you're going to give me the details on the phone. Just tell me the details and I'll watch and I'll let you know if it's a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And like, I think that's fair. I don't waste your time. You don't waste my time. It's totally cool. And hey, if it works out, great. Then we saved ourselves an extra 25 minutes that we would have been on the phone that we didn't need to yep. spend, you know, right? So yep. I did that, yep. never heard back from the guy. And that's what happens. There's a lot of people who, you know, they just, I don't know, like it. it's more about the offer. If it's a good offer, then I'll entertain it, you know? But I get emails every single week from, you know, new copywriters who like, hey, can I work for you for free? And it's like, absolutely not because... I'm, it's not worth it for me to, for you to work for me for, because I'm going to have to teach you so many things. I, I'd rather yes. just do it myself, you know? So, and it's not that I don't appreciate those people. I remember what it was like when I was starting out, but it's one of those where it's like those I tend to just ignore because I get so many of them, A, and B, you know, it just, it's not a good offer for me. You know what I mean? And uh, the thing is when there's one of you and millions of other people, which is every one of us, right? In business, oh, yes. you have to just be very you know choosy and, and, and careful about your time because, when, I, when my email list was small, when my email list was 700 people, I could respond to everyone, right? Now my email list is, okay. is 4,300 uh, 4, people, which is not huge, but I have less than 1% of, uh, actually half a percent of my subscribers are cold subscribers. So I have a very engaged, oh, wow. very clean list. Yeah. So I'm always getting replies back. If I send an email out, I get five to 10 replies, right? And I send an email out every single day. Sometimes I send out emails two times a day. So I just am flooded with so much email that it's like, it's, you got to kind of triage it a little bit because that will eat your entire week, your entire month. And it could eat years of your life, just replying to emails and, and handling all those things. So it's one of those things where I think you got to eventually just develop your own internal filter and say, I'm not going to respond to this uh, because mm -hmm. A, it's not relevant, you know, mm -hmm. or B, this person is just trying to, you know, borrow some of my time for free when I have paying clients who need that attention from me and they're the priority. Got it. And how do you really learn something like email copywriting? So, um, you know, there's courses, there's books, there's those kind of things. But I think the okay. best way to honestly learn is, and this is the way I kind of learn is I had my own email list. Before I was a copywriter, I had some blogs in like the strength conditioning space and the wrestling coaching okay. space. Didn't really make a lot of money. It was my first foray into online marketing, but I was doing daily email. And I was writing all the time. And when you actually have to do it for yourself, you get really okay. clear on what works and what's important. You know, some people, they've never done it for themselves. They try to do it for clients and some people take to it naturally and some people don't. Some copywriters and things like that. But for me, it was like just reps, just doing it for myself, reps and reps and reps and reps and reps. And then you, you get good. It's like a muscle. It's like you go to the gym, your muscles get bigger if you train it every day. So that's the way I look at it. Oh, fantastic. So uh, how, how you started was just um, uh, putting something out there, learning from it and then repeating the entire process a million times. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, your audience will give you feedback because okay. you know, okay, are people opening? Are the, is this a decent open rate? Hey, I got a 4% open rate. Okay, that wasn't a good okay. subject line or I hadn't done okay. something right with attracting the right people, right? So you have all these feedback loops in front of you. It's just looking at the data and saying, hey, they got a really high open, but I tried to sell this offer and I heard crickets. I didn't even get any replies back to my email. One person clicked like, okay, that message clearly didn't resonate. Let's try a different message tomorrow. And you just do that enough times and you figure out what works. Oh, fantastic. I, 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 I'm curious about any mistakes um, in the email copywriting journey. So for example, do you have any story where um, there was some email going out, but that kind of sort of backfired or maybe caused something that shouldn't have, that shouldn't have happened or everything was ros- uh, rosy until now? I mean, it's never all rosy. Um, I'm trying to think of big mistake. You know, I've been very fortunate that <coughs> me, a lot of the clients that I've worked with have had um, you know, I, I had a lot of clients that I work with long-term. John Asaraf okay. from Neurogym, I worked with him for his team for 31 months. Jeff Walker, I worked with him for two years straight. So, like, we always usually had checks and balances in place. Um, okay. There haven't really been too many situations. You know, there have been situations when you send something out and people might respond the wrong way because they misinterpreted what you said. But it's not like, you know, the walls don't come crumbling down. It's just like, oh, okay, okay, these people got pissed and then you know, two days later, they forget that what even had, they forget they even replied to your email. You know what I mean? So there haven't really been too many, you know, there's little things here, wrong links, or, you know, you sent something out, oh, there was a spam word in there. So we know Uh next time not to include that word and then check everything through send forensics or one of those newsletter tests or one of those tools, but nothing really major where I'm like, oh my God, this is a huge problem that I'm not going to be able to, you know, email my way out of the next day, essentially. Oh, got it. Got it. Also, coming back to your uh, Magic Box, uh, for how many years you've been using Magic Box? Only a few months. Um, oh, okay. Why, yeah, and and it. I wish I I knew about it years ago because I would have had <laughs> you know months more of time and productivity. But it's one of those things where I didn't necessarily need it until I I didn't create it until I needed it. You know, it's like I got okay. to the point where I said. I, it was like three weeks in a row. And I, I said, what have I got done the last three weeks? And I said, I've got absolutely nothing done. You know, like okay. <laughs> I just have been on calls the entire time. And ever since like, you know, COVID happened and the lockdowns and depending on where you live, like everyone's, I feel like I live on Zoom. And I said, I can't oh, just yes. live on Zoom all week. You know, like I like talking to people. I like my clients, like my colleagues and friends, but like, I just, I don't want to just be on the Zoom call. Like I like okay. this, this is fine. This is the only Zoom call. I've, so it's nice, but like, you know, when your whole week is just, you're sitting here talking to people in a box oh, yes. on the computer screen. It's just like, sometimes it's like, oh my God, I need like a break. So okay. um, it came out of necessity. I just, I just said, we got to Let's try the system out and see if it works. And it, it did. So. Oh, great. Great. Uh, any, any mistakes regarding time management that you can think of? Uh, maybe it's something that you were making before. Uh, probably I can recall one, which is taking calls throughout the day. Anything else? You know, Definitely living in your inbox is a huge mistake because okay. I don't remember who said this. I want to say it was James Shramko. I could be wrong, but okay. I think it was him. He said, you know, your inbox is essentially other people giving you a to-do list, you know, yes. and I definitely yes. feel the way because, you know, some things are important. You have to, you know, it's like, oh, I got to get my taxes done. My accountant's emailing me, or I got to do this other thing for the agency, or I got to do this other thing for the business, you know, just necessary things. And that's important and good, but you know, when you start getting those requests from people or the customer support oh, yes. and everything else, then you just spend, it doesn't matter if you have a magic box, if you're in your inbox the entire day, you don't actually ship any work. So I had this mentality of like paying yourself first, which is, you know, 
I didn't make it up. It's from The Richest Man in Babylon, which is that age-old book about wealth building. And that's the first principle of building wealth is paying yourself first with money, but also with time too, right? So I know that in order for me to drive my business forward, the reason why I'm ahead of everyone else in my industry is because I create my assets for my business first. And then I worry about the fires and the calls and everything else and the emails and the inbox and the never ending to-do list. So it's people who never pull themselves out of that minutia of the day to day, right? You got to create every single day, ship something every single day. And once you do that, then worry about everything else in your business. But if you do that, it's kind of like you build your castle brick by brick by brick by brick by brick. And then you have, you know, this fortress at the end. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, probably one uh, question that I forgot asking, and I was thinking when you were saying uh, you need something to get creative. How do you really get creative? Um, do you have any routine or system that pushes you into that uh, flow state where you can just get the work done? You know what I've been using that's actually really okay. helped a lot lately? Uh, Brain.fm. And uh, oh, yes. okay. I, I was a little skeptical, not skeptical, but like I was always listening to music. And then what I was finding was I was like shuffling through on Apple Music and I was like, I don't like this song, I don't like this song. And I'm like, wait a minute, stop searching for songs. Like this is not, <laughs> this is a productivity <laughs> sap, you know? So, but then I got I, a friend of mine introduced, one of my writers, Robert Lucas at the agency, he introduced me to Brain FM, told me about okay. it. And I said, wow, this is pretty cool. I tried it out and like in 10 or 15 minutes, like I was kind of in the zone. And the AirPod Pros are definitely, uh, you know, super important. Any kind of noise cancellation, like, and you have yep. that combined with the Brain FM, that usually puts me in like a good, and then I, I know I have that three-hour creative block. So part of it is just a habit too, and knowing like, okay, this is where I'm going to shift my mental energy to for the next three hours, and then I shift it wherever else I need. So it's, it's probably a combination of those things. I mean, I don't do like a morning routine. I don't I meditate. I don't, you know, a lot of people do that stuff and that's awesome. You know, like some people, they have these like two hour morning routines. I'm like, wow, that sounds <laughs> okay, lovely. Yes. It's like, I have a young child and a growing business. Like I don't have time to spend four hours, you know, jumping in, 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 you know, a cold bath and then meditating for three hours and then doing a two hour workout. Like I can't do that. I got real stuff okay. to do. So, you know, Got yeah. it. Fantastic. Okay. So Chris, we are towards the end of our interview where this is what I call magical section, uh, something similar to a magic box. So imagine, somehow magically you get one additional hour every single day for the rest of your life. How would you spend it? That's a good question. I think I'd spend it outside, you know, just taking a walk. Okay. I, I think, yeah, I, I, it's probably a boring answer, you know, but um, <laughs> you could use it, you could use it for your business, but you know, that I feel like is a trap because if you just say, yes. well, I have another hour, I just work on an hour in my business. Like that doesn't lead you to higher leverage. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I would love to have another hour for my business. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's like, what if, I went the other way and took an hour away from my business and actually did gave myself that extra hour, right? What would happen? And I've always found that like when you, I'm like kind of, you know, a workaholic with this stuff because I want to, I want to build a really great company and a really great brand. And it's hard. It's a lot of stuff you got to do. It takes time. But what I found is when I've stopped, you know, when I stopped working on the weekends and when I started pulling away and doing other activities, like that's when your best ideas come and you don't believe it until it happens to you. You say, yeah, yeah, I know people say that, but that, that, I'm different and it won't happen to me. And then you actually take a weekend off or you take a weekday off or you take the afternoon off and you go do something non-digital. You do something tactile with your hands, right? Or you yep. go for a walk yep. and you move your yep. body and get out in the sun and see the trees and then you get these breakthroughs. So that's what I would do. I would just spend it probably outside. Oh, fantastic. Brilliant answer. Okay. So Chris, um, if somebody wants to follow along your journey, uh, get in touch with you, what's the best way? Plug anything in. 
Yeah, go to www.theemailcopywriter.com. That's my website. You can get on my list and uh, read some of my blog articles. Some pretty good stuff there. We'll, you know, give you some uh, value without you even having to pay me. Just, you know, go read the articles and learn how to write really awesome emails. Oh, fantastic. Any, any, and any social media where you are active or share something? Not really. You know, like I don't okay. do a ton of social media. Uh, <laughs> email. Just through my website. Yeah, pretty much email. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Chris, this was fantastic. I am going to try the magic box thing for a couple of weeks and let me see how that goes. Uh, I'll keep you posted and everybody posted with a follow-up episode uh, how my experience with magic box is. Yeah, definitely let me know how it is. And thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it.